Welcome to the Jinx Dance Media Podcast. This is your host, Jude, and this is where I'll be chatting to you about how to design and create high-quality dance events and creative dance content. I'll be covering topics ranging from fundraising, marketing, production, content creation, design, and so much more so that you can have all the tools and resources you need to stand out and build genuine connections with your audience. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to this week's podcast episode. I am here with a very special guest. This is Castro here with me today. He is a dance educator. He has competed in tons of battles as well as judged them. So today we're going to be talking about basically judging battles. So Castro, do you want to maybe give a bit more context and just like introduce yourself before we jump into the questions? Yeah, I have been doing the lane of education, should I say. I've been teaching for over 10 years now, lots of trial and error. And through those that trial and error, I've come across uh, many different things in the community that have turned into worldwide, uh, should I say, complaints or concerns as far as <laughs> not just judging, but teaching is concerned. And so being an educator, I took it upon myself to start to figure out how to create a system for the style of popping specifically, because I am a popper, that can benefit the contest space in a professional setting to alleviate a lot of the issues, if not all of the issues that we come across. And I know, like, I think you're very, like, uh, I guess, is prolific the right word? Um, prominent, maybe? Uh, just known for a lot of your, like, live streams on Instagram, where you, like, really dive deep into a lot of these topics. So, um, I will put like your information in the description if anyone wants to go and like become more educated on those subjects. I like highly recommend. Um, I know I've learned a lot from watching a lot of those live streams as well. So um, I think we really appreciate like all of the work that you're doing um, just to educate people more on all sorts of subjects around dance as well. So without further ado, we'll go ahead and jump into the question. So I guess my first question for today's subject, um, talking specifically about judging. Um, as someone who has judged a lot of dance battles, um, what qualities do you think uh, judges should possess if they're going to be qualified, I guess, to judge a dance battle? Well, qualities would have to consist of um, the ability to be unbiased, which is very hard for human beings in general, uh, <laughs> but definitely very hard when you come up learning things a certain way especially uh, when the history of the community at large has been very uh, divided and divisive to a certain extent. But unbiasedness and an education really that is way deeper than surface level ability to teach or demonstrate a specific dance that we do or style that is used with the dance that we call popping. Most judges are not competent in a way where they can accurately tell whether somebody's doing another dance outside of their primary uh, style of choice with popping, if it's good or not. So their bias shows up and their lack of education shows up. Just like when we dance, that's the only time we can't lie. And so if we're judging the thing that we can't lie with, then we're definitely gonna tell on ourselves when we make judgment calls that are 
you know, woefully inaccurate. No, I definitely think that I personally have seen a lot of events where, you know, people are just very biased towards maybe the style that they do. Um, even within like the umbrella of popping, you know, maybe some people lean more towards animation, some people lean more towards Boogaloo. Um, and I think that shows in like their judging. And so I 100% agree with that as well, um, that it's important to be able to set those like biases aside um, in order to fairly assess people in a battle. So with that kind of piggybacking off of that, how do you think judges um, can fairly assess dancers in a battle? Like what should they be looking for, I guess, or I guess what criteria or anything else maybe that you want to add there? So we need to find ways to look at the dance devoid of style and judge on specific properties that happen universally dance-wise to be able to make fair and accurate judgment on whether somebody's good or bad. Now, yes, in the long term, the end result, you want this person to know the styles that they're looking at. But even if they weren't competent enough to understand, which is 99% of the street dance community that is participating in popping, uh, all the styles that they're looking at, they would still be able to more fairly give assessment on why somebody or why something was better than something else. So for instance, we have a system called mode change. Mode change is derived of the four main systems that you see in popping. There is the popping, which is the dance, which is com 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 uh, comprised of the groove, uh, the hips and the legs, the feet. You're dancing, you're traveling, you're moving across the floor, you're being three-dimensional. Uh, then there is robot, which is any robotic movement based usually in animatronics or mannequin. Then and this is where it starts to get a little tricky, but not so much. Animation, which is essentially bringing a character to life, which animation has 14 different robots that you can touch that are not necessarily just robotic, but are animated. So those two things are interchangeable and they are not the same thing at the same time. And this is why education is necessary. And then, mm -hmm. <laughs> then you have waving, which you can also blend with these other modes. So they can blend modes, they can change modes. Um, then you have music, understanding the four pockets and outside of the pockets, which when you put these two things together creates musicality. And if they don't understand these rhythms, they're not going to be able to accurately assess whether these people are on beat or not. Texture, does the texture of their movement match the physical quality of the sound? So not just does it sound good, but does it feel like the sound that they are currently touching is happening visually in front of you that is our job as dancers right to to create the music in reality so it's not just an instrument you're hearing come out of a speaker but we're creating the physical embodiment of this sound is it crunchy is it bouncy is it soft is it smooth is it hard is it you know jagged is it electric all of these things that you can visually put texture behind you know what does it feel like when you touch it not necessarily like what does it make me feel but your hair doesn't mm -hmm. feel like your face, doesn't feel like your eyebrows, doesn't feel like your shirt, doesn't feel like your microphone. The textures are all different when you physically touch them. And we use our muscles to create and our movement to create these textures. Then we have size change. Small, medium, and large movements. Um, small, intricate movements. Medium movements being your normal full extended range. So even if my arm is fully extended, that is not large. That is medium. And large would be 
when I stretch my body out to extend to create a bigger shape. And then obviously the end result is how are they putting all these things in the style that they are doing. And even if, again, you don't understand the style, if you can see what you hear, nine times out of 10, they're doing a good job. So then you have to decide the quality of said performance, does it, or demonstration, um, does it equal or is it greater or less than the person that went before or after them? And that's very simply how we can start to get rid of, well, I don't like that. That's not my favorite style. I don't like that thing. So I'm going to just say this was better, which is a huge issue. There's not a lot of integrity mm-hmm. um, in the street dance community's judging system. And there hasn't been for a long time. And that's just because people are uneducated. One thing that I've heard quite frequently is like, I guess, feedback that people have gotten from judges is, I just wasn't feeling your round as much. That's why I picked the other that person. Just, so I guess I'm curious if you want to talk about that. I can explain. Um, I tell my students all the time, the first thing that anybody brand new to my class learns, and I do an assessment. Uh, I make them get down at the beginning of class because my class is not a five, six, seven, eight. You're not going to follow me. We're not going to do a routine. I'm going to teach you how to dance and be a popper and dancer together at the same time on your own. So you can learn to do a style, but you can also mm-hmm. learn to not need the style. If you've seen me pop, you see that I can dabble in touch styles, but then I can also do whatever I want to do. And it's still considered mm-hmm. popping, but that's because I know how to dance. Um, First thing that they learn after I give them that assessment, depending on their dance IQ, if they're not good or they've never taken popping before, we learn about music. So while I give the rest of the class their instructions, because everybody's doing different things based on where they're at in their journey. So they have specific tasks that they have to complete throughout the, the, the class. I teach music at the beginning of class for the beginners. I teach them all mm-hmm. the different rhythms. I give them different examples. I teach them what outside of the rhythms are. I show them how this becomes musicality. But then I say this very specific thing. If you go into somebody's classroom and they can't explain to you musicality, if you ask them and they can't explain what I just explained in detail, you need to get out because they're not teaching you how to dance. They're teaching you how to follow. And even if that's unintentional, that's what's happening. And so I've had countless people over the past 10 years tell me I've never had anybody teach me this before. And that's really sad because I can't even remember everybody that I've been able to give that information to, but they've all said the same thing. And that's a huge, huge Mm. problem. And the same judging it. These same dancers are not educated in how things work just because you have a visual talent or you're a physical learner where it makes sense to your body. So you're used to doing it out of repetition, but you can't explain it. Why should you be able to sit in the chair and somebody come ask you for feedback and you can't give them a three to five minute thesis explanation on what they need? I literally Mm -hmm. remember every round that I see at an event. I just play it back like a video in my head and I'm able to explain this is why I failed. This is what they need to work on. This is also what they need to work on. And these are the places they can get that information. But most. Most yeah. I, I, I had an I had a, an OG, a very prominent, well-known OG from the Bay. He came to an event in New York. He was judging and I asked him, you know, can I get some feedback? And he was like, I don't have to tell you anything. And I just looked at him. I was like, yes, you do. And he was like, why? I was like, because of my job. 
<laughs> literally. Was, was literally like, <laughs> but this man is in his 60s, you know, stuck in his ways. We can't expect, mm-hmm. you know, everybody in the older generation to have the same idea about responsibility that we do. And that's why it might sound, you know, awkward, but they are not running anything anymore. The OGs are not in charge of anything. It's us. Mm-hmm. We're the torchbearers, the educators now, the people in positions of yeah. now, the people who help and in, in nurture and build community now. We're the ones running the scene. So yeah, us to get these things done. And I didn't need him to tell me, but I wanted to see what he would say. And I ran into that situation. Well, mm-hmm. and I'm just looking yeah. like, because people look at you guys like, you know, you're the end all be all. You're these mystical creatures almost holier than mm-hmm. oh you know le- legitimate living members of black and brown history no doubt but they weren't taught how to be responsible and we had to learn from their mistakes and that's not a diss that's just reality the next generation of mm-hmm. are educated in different spaces than the than the generation before it for various reasons that's just evolution right if things didn't evolve we'd all still be smacking stones and and dragging each other into caves right so what it comes down to really is just they don't know how to give you the answer. This doesn't mean mm-hmm. they're dumb. They're just ignorant to how the things work. And those are the people you need in the positions, not just famous dancers. Yeah. That's a huge problem. Like this person won a lot of battles. That doesn't mean anything. Mm-hmm. They might not know how to read. Why? Like <laughs> they could just dance. It doesn't, it doesn't mean anything, you know? Yeah. And I think that, that, goes back to something that like I've been hearing a lot of like I guess conversations around recently too it's like just because you're a good dancer doesn't mean you're a good organizer for example or just because you're a good dancer doesn't mean you're a good teacher and I think the same goes for judging um and what's really interesting just hearing you speak about this I also feel like I'm drawing a lot of connections between teaching and judging because I think there's those shared skill set of having to be able to observe people and take in that information and then be able to think critically about it and then articulate, Mm. you know, what kind of feedback can I give this person? So I think that's something that you have to be able to do, whether you're a teacher or a judge. Um, So I really liked how you, um, I guess, laid that out. I think that makes a lot of sense. Another thing that I really liked that you said was this idea of like, like as a judge, like it's your responsibility, like it's your job. And I think too, like sometimes we forget that, like, from an organizer perspective, like we pay a lot of money to have judges come out. And like, we want to make sure that like the people who are competing in these events are getting the value that they want from the event and from the people that we are putting in those positions. Right. So we have to put a lot of trust in those people and make sure that like, we are also being responsible to select the right people to put in those positions as well. So I think it's important to, to make sure that like we're cultivating, I guess, an ecosystem mm. that is beneficial and valuable for everyone um, in the event. I, I think so. a, a lot of organizers and people in dance community in general that throw events don't understand that you are in the sales business when you are throwing an event. And the people coming to your event, whether they are patrons that are just watching or they are participating, are your consumers. And... Mm-hmm. This is a professional entertainment event at, at this point. Once you have thrown mm-hmm. people out, paid people to judge, paid for a DJ, paid for the venue, paid for staff, this is a professional industry event. Now, so yeah. <laughs> understand that you are in uh, a position of responsibility. You're not in a position where you can just do whatever you want to do 
whenever you want to do it. And you don't have to care about how this affects the event. So that that's that's from the not just the judges, but the music, your host, you know, the MC ceremonies, mm-hmm. your your staff, your security, the quality of the venue. Do you have air conditioning? Do you have any of these things really that are necessary? And I feel like that could be a whole side tangent, so I won't go down that path too much. But I 100% agree that I think it really it really does come down to like a shared responsibility from everyone who's participating. So like from my end, like my job is to approach the event from a service mindset, um, whether I'm, you know, serving the people that we're inviting out and, you know, making sure that we provide quality hospitality for our artists um, or I'm thinking about, you know, the attendees and making sure that like like I said, we're putting the right people in the positions to make the event good and that we're thinking about those little details to make their experience good. And then from the judge perspective, like it is your responsibility to like, you're getting paid to do a job. And so you should show up to do that job. So yeah, I 100% agree. Um, (laughs) I kind of do want to maybe go back to something that you said earlier, um, in terms of just like the specific criteria that you broke down for judging a popping event. Um, I'm very curious because you talked about like animation, robotics, waving in that. Um, what are your thoughts on how that criteria maybe, you know, uh, evolves, shifts um, as far as, you know, maybe event like very specific styles, uh, whether it's like a waving battle or an animation battle or even if it's an all styles battle? Like, how do you think that that changes, <laughs> I guess? <laughs> well, the beautiful thing about the modes is that they lend themselves to specialties. There's always going to be somebody who's really good at something specific. Some of us, like myself, pride on our, pride ourselves on being able to touch everything, to have a, a world view of a situation, to be able to adapt to any situation. Um, but that's in the specific style. Then we have people who are specialists that can take this specific mode and take it to an extra place, right? So examples would be tempo, J Smooth, Soul, uh, Jesse Sykes, Enox, these people who really wave, right? Bishop, they are people who you, they can take waving to a place that is beyond what most people can take waving, right? Same thing, animation. Then you have Mega Man. He would say myself, but I don't necessarily put myself in that category. Robozilla, Bop and Andre, Flat Top. These are people who are really, really animated. Oh, Havoc, even though he's a flexor, right? He's definitely very, very animated. Then you have people like uh, in the dancey, dancey space, right? You have people like myself, Kid Boogie, John Boogs, Rashad, right? And then in the robotic space, you have people like Pop and John, Mad Chad, Tick a Lot. Then again, you can also do Flat Top again, Bop and Andre again, Mega Man again. When we have the modes, we can have styles or contests specifically about this certain criteria and when it gets that specific it becomes easier to get more accurate and fair assessment because they don't have to Mm. mitigate their assessment on everything that could possibly be happening in the realm of what works in a popping contest Mm -hmm. right um no popping is not an umbrella to get that out of the way um but These dancers just happen to cohabitate and they were all made around the same time and they work well together and they have interchangeable techniques that are used in different ways. Mm-hmm. So they can all be used in a popping contest. And even though it functions like an umbrella, historically, it is not one. But yeah, I think 
people need to be, again, it comes down to education, right? If they're more educated, then we don't need to have separation. But separation is nice. It's good to see, mm-hmm. you know, who's really a specialist and who's not, who, 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 who's really a nerd for these specific things. Um, yeah. <laughs> and as far as all styles, it's not a thing. It's not real. I feel like that term should get burned. The same thing I tell my students when I talk about these two terms, beat killing and beat catching and how they're not real. Because all it is is in and out of the pockets, and that's all musicality is. Beat catching and beat killing are terms that people who are uneducated use to sound more important or keep people coming to their classroom because it's a community-used term, but it's not accurate for really anything. Um, And it keeps people from learning the truth about music and how music actually works. And I say, you take these two terms, so we're going to take all styles too. You ball them up, you throw them in the garbage, you light the garbage on fire, and kick the garbage down the street because they're not real i think the term people should be using is open styles or freestyle because mm-hmm. that is 100 percent accurate all styles is 100 percent inaccurate because people aren't coming into street mm-hmm. dance contests tap dancing they're not doing ballet they're they're not uh doing contemporary or modern they're not in there doing you know jazz it's not a thing so um, people aren't in there doing gymnastics routines to music or extreme martial arts routines to music. It's not a thing. So all styles is a very lazy way, which is par for the course of why education is in this space that it's in, for things to be passed along so everybody can feel included. But you got to remember, mm-hmm. you're allowed to be in the space. Anybody can be part. But this club is still exclusive and it's supposed to be that way. That's how you keep the cultural integrity of the thing, which mm-hmm. is regardless of the style, you, you want to do things the right way, which comes back to foundation. That's mm-hmm. a whole another conversation. <laughs> I, I really love what you just said there. It's like, this is meant to be exclusive in order to keep the integrity. I I really love how you articulated that Um, because I think that's something that comes up a lot when we talk about open and all styles events um, versus specific style events. And I think there is a perception, like a negative perception, in fact, that people who do specific styles are, you know, exclusive or they're actively excluding people. And it's like, no, like we still love all these other styles, but we know that we specialize in this thing and we're trying to promote real like dedication, commitment to this particular dance style and this dance culture. So I think that that's super important. And I really love that you said that. So to kind of expand on what we were talking about, as far as um, the criteria goes, for let's say open styles specifically freestyle do you, since you said earlier that you know the more specific you get with like a niche whether it's robot waving animation the easier it gets to judge would you argue that it's the opposite when you start to open it up to like open styles yeah so i don't think that it makes it any more difficult it, it makes it easier because with open styles events usually the person who is doing the style that the music is asking to be done or closely resembles at least groove wise or texture wise the sound is usually the person who does the best nine times out of ten somebody just doing moves for the sake of doing moves never will beat somebody actually dancing to the music Mm. 
that also goes for just popping contests. We, you know, there's many different eras of funk that can show up. You have Parliament Funk, G Funk, which is hip hop, but sometimes it's acceptable. And then you have Electro Funk, which is like 80s electric, electric funk music. Is the style that they're doing or the dance they're doing with popping most accurately represent the era mm. of that music? Those things mm -hmm. that you also get points for. So nine times out of 10 in an open styles contest, if you hear breaks and somebody's not breaking, the closest thing to that would be hip hop. And then mm -hmm. after that, you know, how are they displaying said situation? Mm -hmm. All of the other criteria would still work. Yeah, I guess I'm, I'm really curious because in my experience here in Chicago, at least, and I don't know if it's similar elsewhere, but oftentimes at like open styles, hip hop music tends to be like the middle ground. And so we hear a lot of hip hop. And I think um, you like if maybe like a popper comes to or a house dancer comes and everyone's just dancing to hip hop music, but they want to show, I guess, like their style um, or they're really good at one style and they still they're adapting their style to that music. What are, what are your thoughts on that, I would say, and like how that plays a role? in those types of battles as well. This is where mode change comes in. The beautiful thing about mode change is if you're really, really good at what you do, it doesn't matter what mode you pick, but there's always a mode that makes the most sense in the moment for what the music is asking you to do. A mm -hmm. lot of dancers feel that they can do whatever they want because dance is inherently art, but that's not the case. When you're on a stage and you're performing, you're doing a show or you're judging, you're doing a judge showcase, that's where you get to be an artist. You get to do whatever you want, but anything that is in the cipher space, so that's battling or ciphering or getting down, exchanging, partying, you have to do what the music is telling you to do. Okay, um, so I feel like we've touched on this a little bit already, but I wanna see if you maybe wanna expound on it. What do you think um, are some common bad practices that you've seen from judges and how can we go about fixing those? The way we go about fixing the, all of the issues that exist, the uneducated guest answers, the this, this stupid uh, responses, or the feeling of unnecessary, well, I don't have to tell you anything kind of garbage scenario. You know, I've heard dancers say, I liked his art more. I've heard dancers say, which is one of the worst things I've ever heard. This guy, he's one of the famous dancers from France if not the most famous popper from France. And he said, this guy's got the OG style and you just can't go against that. Now, that doesn't say that somebody won or lost. If you liked it and you thought it was good, great. Even if they actually did one, you know, they did win, that's not an accurate answer on why they won. That means you mm -hmm. still can't, if you can make the right choice, you still shouldn't be in that seat because you can't tell somebody. So you're still untrustworthy. You're, that's not responsible. And the way we fix that is through certification. And the goal for judges is if you want to be judging certified, you have to first be teaching certified. Even if you never teach, you have to know every single thing down to the most minute nuance and detail of the dances we do with popping to be able to sit in a seat and decide if this person who spent all their money, not all their money, but spent money, sometimes we know in the dance community, people bet their whole paycheck or rent on an event because they're mm -hmm. struggling. They will, they will gamble 
You know, these people who spent money on plane tickets, on bus tickets, on train tickets, on gas money, whatever, on lodging, on food, on entry fee, registration, if they won or lost. We're in the service industry. So it's it's about being responsible. Being actually responsible would require you to say, I am the most educated person in the room on this topic. And I 100% deserve and I belong in that seat. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. Um, And so I kind of want to pivot a little bit here. Um, So my next question, we're going to answer like from both sides of this. So um, for event organizers, what is your advice or what do you think they should be looking for when they're hiring judges, whether this is on a local or a national scale? And then once you've answered that, on the flip side, I'm curious as a judge, are there things that you look for? when saying yes or no to a gig with an event organizer, is there something that you think, you know, qualities that you look for, or I guess things that you look for when you're like, <laughs> this is a good event to work with. The majority of event organizers are also dancers who are majority, majority uneducated. And whoever's listening to this, don't think that I'm calling everybody stupid. We just have <laughs> a lot of learning to do, right? Some of us just got it already. And most of us don't. And Event organizers need to ask people like myself in their specific style that you're looking to have the event for. The names do not matter. Second, you don't have to constantly change the judges for your event to keep it fresh. That is also, you know, a flaw because nine times out of 10, you're just getting more uneducated people to make the same mistakes. Regardless, if they make accurate choices, if they can't explain again, they shouldn't be in those seats. Uh, the perfect example of somebody who gets it right is Stax. He hires Rashad every year. Never fail. And Rashad is one of the best judges even before any of this. And Rashad is actually one of the people that I asked to be part of the, the board members for the popping community. Um, there's quite a few of us. Not quite a few of us. There's six of us. But we're the most educated people in the community at this point in time. And we're the ones creating the teaching and judging certification criteria. Um, and we span all spectrums of popping up and down. So nothing is going to be left out. And judges need to know that these people exist. I mean, organizers need to know that these people exist. And they should be looking for these specific people. If this means that 90% of the community doesn't have a job, so be it. Because what's going to happen is everybody who comes to your event is going to walk away happy, which means you have a positive return on your investment the next time you come to the event. As a judge, I don't want to judge with people who are, don't know how to judge. And I say it to them. This person doesn't know how to judge. I want to get you, this person, this person. I said, well, you can get me, but I don't want to judge with them because I've seen them do this, this, and this, and this, and this. Mm -hmm. I have all these examples of not being able to do this. I've heard this specifically and personally. I know this is unfair to the community, and I don't want to be a part of that. Mm -hmm. Also, if the DJ is not up to snuff, as in they don't know how to spin an event. They don't know how to constantly incline the quality of song, the energy, keep the energy up. If the MC has to go crowd, where are you at? <laughs> it's the DJ's fault. We're there to battle to music, to dance to music. If the music is not where it's supposed to be, the energy is going to fall. That person creates the tone for the entire event, right? Judges also have a responsibility to create a bracket 
that is going to create the most entertaining series of battles. Just now, I just did an event in Houston um, three weeks ago. And when everybody made it past prelims, they were like, okay, who should battle who? And I just looked at all the names and I created this bracket. And when I showed it to the other judges, their mouths dropped. And they were like, these battles are going to be insane. And then when the battles happened, everybody was fighting. It was neck and neck. It was extremely entertaining. Everybody had a great time. That's the way it's supposed to be. But on top of that, the battles were exciting because the music was exciting. The DJ has to know how to keep the energy up. The MC has to know how to keep the crowd engaged, make sure the judges are where they're supposed to be. Everybody has responsibility. Mm -hmm. But as a judge, I, I think about all of these things because I want the event that I'm at to be the best it can possibly be. And I want to do the best job I can mm -hmm. possibly do. If the music is garbage, I have to judge garbage dancing. I, it, everything affects each other. Mm -hmm. But this is what I'm saying. In positions of leadership, leadership, we have responsibility. We're in the service industry. We're not in positions of authority. So we have to provide mm -hmm. space that people want to return to. Prize money is not enough. That's not what made the culture. Nobody was battling for money when the culture started. Capitalism made that a thing. So cool, we get to live <laughs> with it. Nice. But let's not lose the structural, cultural integrity of said thing that saved us. For me personally, like one of my goals, I guess, as far as something that I want to contribute is being able to create like an ecosystem or an infrastructure where, you know, people can continue to um, aspire to these roles and do them well. And it can be a more common path, because I think right now um, people just kind of happen into this stuff or it's like trial and error. and so. I love what you're doing with like the certification stuff. I think that's a really great step in that direction. Um, I'm very curious, especially as it relates to other styles that maybe don't have something like that. Um, what are your thoughts on how we can continue to, I guess, build these infrastructures so that people can start educating themselves so we can have more people who are qualified to do this stuff and we're not just limited to those specific people. And while it's great to be able to do that, I think like it's also great to be able to open the doors for more people to learn and truly become qualified to fulfill these different roles as well so that we can give people more opportunities and pay people more who are in the community as well. Like I think that's something that I would really like to see. So I'm curious what your thoughts are on that as well. The community would have to want it. What it comes down to is we are the same people in the regular everyday life that we are in a dance community. And the same way we think and view things we will think and view things in the dance scene. We're not separating ourselves from real life. We're bringing our BS into this space and infecting it with our BS. So if we don't value the things that we say we love in the space when we're in it, i.e. spending money on the events, buying the clothes from the vendors at the events, going to the workshops from the teachers at the events, from your community, not these giant corporations that throw street dance events. And I'm talking about the community events, mm -hmm. spending money at the event, buying clothes at the event, buying food at the event, giving back to the community is how we can build. Because if we don't value it, it's not, it's not something that we want to partake in, right? Unfortunately, we live in a society that if you don't have a degree in said thing, it's not a real job. And so now it's not a real job. It's not valuable. And this is why art was taken out of all the schools. If art was still in the schools like it was, 
when I was a child in the 90s, street dance would have been regular curriculum. One of my goals is to get street dance curriculum into legitimate, uh, quote unquote, education in the public school system, credit courses in middle school, high school and university. People call me a professor. Technically, I am a professor in the thing that we're talking about. But when it comes to, quote unquote, legitimate education or public school, nobody can can gauge whether or not I'm accurate because there's no education space for mm -hmm. what I'm talking about. It only exists in our community. So we have to create the need and want. And the issue is people don't see the value already. Street dance is a billion dollar industry for years now, every year worldwide. Just in popping alone, there's over a billion practitioners on this planet, easily. You think we haven't spent a billion dollars as a people on street dance in a year? Of course we have, but people don't see the value in it and this goes back to capitalism. Street dance is the last thing that black and brown people have, specifically black people, that white people don't own. And the reason it's not everywhere is because they can't control it. So we're trying to build up the structure to take it to a place where, unfortunately, in the capitalist society, society that we live in, we have to play that game where people want to invest in it. But we're trying to build it up in a way where the structural cultural integrity is not infected any more mm -hmm. than it already has been by society and able to survive when we're gone the right way. We're at the end of the beginning. We're still, we get to see the OGs. Our kids and our kids' kids will never see that. They'll only have their hologram videos or videos or, you know, YouTube, mm -hmm. whatever it is, 20, 30 years. They'll have archives. They won't get to see and experience and breathe the same air as these people. Learn from them. They're not going to have that opportunity opportunity and 10 15 years from now none of them will be dancing or maybe even alive based on current life expectancy and the health of people in the united states and around the yeah. world <laughs> let alone the health of dancers based on our situation as artists our financial situation is ours our quality of life what is dance going to look like when they're gone and this is why we are the ones who have to be responsible now because they were kids when they made this they were thrust into situations never having taught in their lives in a professional space, not knowing how to organize a class, not knowing how to teach culture and a dance, not knowing how to protect culture and a dance, not knowing how to be responsible. And so it's almost the same thing that's happening now with Red Bull, where all this money is being dangled and the low hanging fruit is right there in front of you saying, here's this pretty little tasty thing, I'm gonna <laughs> give you this. And here's your prize for participating in this thing. But there's no responsibility there. Mm -hmm. And so the end result is something very negative in the long run, where the truth is gone, it's washed away. And that's almost what happened with street dance. After the big boom in the 80s, by 83, nobody was doing anything street dance. 85, it was gone. In the hood, it was still a thing, but it wasn't mainstream anymore. It got thrown away by society. And now we're at a point where it's about to be in the Olympics. What do we do now? And how do mm -hmm. we continue to go up so that the people who live the life we live can live a quality of life that is sustainable. They can have health insurance. They can have retirement. They can have 401ks. They can have all of these things that any other profession provides. And a lot of us have reached the highest level and we don't have, our OGs don't even get to live that life. I just watched Pete who through COVID had to go work in, in Ikea. He's black history. His family created the dance popping and electric boogaloo style and boogaloo style popping, EV style popping worldwide world famous he had to work in ikea and he's so excited that he's back on tour in china traveling the world 
He's taking videos all the time. You can see everybody in the background getting fed up with him, constantly being on his <laughs> phone. But I'm so happy for him. But he shouldn't have to deal with that. Mm-hmm. He should retired. He shouldn't have to go on the road at 60 something years old and pour his heart out and his body and put his body through stuff and fly 64 hours across the world back and forth just to get paid. Yeah. He should be able to do it from home. He should have millions of dollars in the bank. He should be, you understand? Mm-hmm. He should be well off. Yeah. This is the thing yeah. we're trying to create by creating teaching and judging certification. It brings jobs into the community. It creates a legitimate profession in society's eyes, the game we got to play. Mm-hmm. Change the situation of our community and then people who look like us. I love that so much. I don't even have, I don't even have anything to add. I think you've put it perfectly. Um, so <laughs> um, with that all being said, do you have any final thoughts that you want to wrap us up with? If you don't have a teacher, find yourself a teacher. I'm definitely available. Sam Max, somebody else who's also my student and crewmate, who's somebody you've had on this podcast. It takes a village. So you, you need more than one teacher. Dive deep into education. See how far you can take your craft responsibility education is not a lane you have to be in battling is not a lane you have to be in these are just lanes that exist that you can choose you can choose to be an artist like john boogs you can choose to be a movement artist which is not somebody who just does art through movement a movement artist is somebody who builds a movement through art so the definition of movement artist is i'm going to create a social political movement through my art black lives matter right? That's a social political movement. That's what a movement artist is. They speak on actual social movements, not just, I dance, I'm a movement artist. That's not the definition. (laughs) So (laughs) learning to, you know, you could do that. You could go into the industry if you want to be a background dancer or go on tour with a celebrity, or you want to be a professional choreographer for a celebrity or in movies or on television, like John Books. He's second season now um, with uh, Blind Spotting on Stars. Rave Reviews. It's an amazing show. The choreography is insane. And of course, he's, as a movement artist, telling the stories in that show. The things that are happening in that show are all taught. Most of the, the 90%, all the dance scenes are taught through his choreography interpretation of the climate of that scene, regardless of what it is. So, you know, you don't have to battle. You don't have to be an educator, but you're going to do something. And the easiest way to find these lanes and find out your specialty, if you want to be a specialty, you know, dancer in whatever style, is to get an educator. You'll learn what you like, you'll learn what you love, and you'll be able to move forward through purpose and through your why. My why was I wanted to help people in life, and it just so happened that dance ended up becoming the vessel that all these people came into my life, and I was able to help them in many different ways through movement. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of your wisdom and experience today. Um, I personally feel like I got a lot of value out of this. I feel like I say this every time, but I genuinely mean it. Like, this is like, these are my favorite types of conversations to have. So I really appreciate you taking the time out to um, record this podcast with me today. And hopefully we'll see you on a future podcast episode as well.